of you here on your way to the book of Colossians, could you first turn to Luke chapter 7? Luke chapter 7. By the way, uh, the white side mentioned Jerry Lynn. We need to pray for her. She is working, as some of you know, she's working in conjunction with the Border Patrol. Uh, she has made mention that she can't believe what they have to go through. Now, some of you know that I have been involved in a ministry that deals not only with certain law enforcement, certain cities, but it deals with the border patrol very personally. Uh, I'm not going to say the name of it because they're the ones that gave me this info. And I don't think, you know, I don't think it's a secret, but it's very, very sad. I contacted them and made mention about what Jerry Lynn had been noticing. She said, please pray for the Border Patrol, not this last week, but the week before. They had three suicides in one week. Not spread out across the country, but in a particular area. They've had 22 suicides since the beginning of the year. They are stunned with what these people are going through. What they have to deal with because of the current administration. Brethren, this is a wicked time with wicked people who have wicked intentions and Satan is loving it. We need to pray for these folks. We need to pray for them. Now, my prayer is tonight that our eyes are open. I want to help. I want to help with the, our eyes being opened by going to a particular passage before we get into Colossians. But let's go ahead and let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to do what only He can do. Heavenly Father, we come before you as this local church. Lord, I don't know the condition of hearts or the condition of hearts that will possibly hear this message in the future. I know that my heart has needed work. You have helped, you have guided, and I so rejoice in that. But there's more that needs to be done. Lord, we need a vision of our Savior tonight. I pray that you'd help us to see that. We also need a vision, a greater vision, of why we need our Savior. So Lord, I pray that your work would be done tonight. We're looking to you, the author and finisher of our faith. And we pray or something that is supernatural. 
We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. In Luke chapter 7, would you please go to verse 36? And one of the Pharisees desired him, that is Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Let me explain something here real quick. We learned this when we were in Israel. When, when you look at that painting of the Last Supper, you see all the disciples sitting at a table. That's not how they ate. What they did was they gathered in a circle, their feet were out, they were pointed out, and they were all gathered around, and, and the food was there in the middle, and they would partake there. That's why this woman could do to the, to the Lord's feet what she did. She walked in behind him. He, his head is up there. Here's his feet. And she's weeping on his feet. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house. That gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loveth much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. Now go, if you would please, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The reason why I had us read that is that here we are, whatever our backgrounds were, we have, I pray each and every one of us, we've come to Christ. Now, we might have come to him three years ago or 30 years ago or 50 years ago. If it's a long time, maybe we have forgotten a little bit about 
just what exactly it was like when the Lord told us, when the Lord approached us through the Spirit and helped us understand we need, we need saving. By the way, how many sins do you need to commit to go to hell? One. But we might not see it that way. What I mean is, it's like, once, you know, I, look, I got saved when I was seven or I was 12 or whatever. Paul was a Pharisee. He lived the life of a Pharisee. He, he kept the law. I mean, he was there from his youth, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. I mean, he was, like he said, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But when he met Christ, he realized how much of a sinner he was. Now, yes, he put people to death. I mean, you stop and consider this. When he was preaching in different places, he was meeting the relatives of people, quite possibly, probably, that he had put to death. And when he finally went to heaven, he was greeted by people that he sent them there. But the thing that got the Apostle Paul the most was what Jesus Christ had done for him. That woman that we read about in Luke 7, she realized what Christ, who Christ was, his holiness, his glory, his person, and she recognized who she was. But the man that had invited Christ to the supper, hey, I fast twice a week, I do this, I keep that, I'm not like that publican kind of an attitude. He hadn't seen Christ and all his glory and all his calling to pay the penalty of everyone's sin. Hadn't seen it yet. Paul did. And that's why I believe we see and hear Paul time after time after time after time in letter after letter after letter. When he came to the person of Christ, oh, my soul, he came and it was like, oh, Christ liveth in me. Now we've already gone through the first 11 verses and we have much to cover tonight. I don't think I'm going to be able to finish this. But I want to read verses 12 through 20 so that we can get a grasp right now just what he says and we will work our way through. But as we read, let's hear the heart of Paul for Christ. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, of every creature, for by him, Christ, were all things created that are in heaven 
that are in earth, <coughs> excuse me, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. You know, it's, it's fascinating in this passage that without hardly mentioning his name, he says so much about Christ. Think about all that he learned and how what God taught him, what Christ taught him, and, and taking in the Old Testament promises and the prophets and all this and the law, no wonder Paul was absolutely overcome with the person of Jesus Christ. And so here we are 2,000 years plus later, or whatever it might be. But here we are reading his words. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit. Because I want to know more what Paul's passion was for this. I read the words, but Paul, you were saying this, but Lord, help me to understand better. This one who exclaimed, Christ liveth in me. It's like the lady. She wept. She wept. She washed his feet with her hair and the tears. It tells me that when somebody really comes to realize the person of Christ, it does a work in their heart. I don't want stoic Christianity, and neither do you. That's why you're here. So let's go, first of all, to the first verse and recognize this. We are giving thanks to the Father. We have been made partakers of the inheritance, what we have in Christ when it comes to salvation. But now listen to this. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Think about that. There is darkness reigning in this world right now. We are watching people, intelligent people by worldly standards, that are saying the most outlandish, incredible, wicked things, and they are not backing down. You know why? Romans 1. God gave them over. I am so glad that instead of giving us over to a reprobate mind, we were given to Christ. I love that. Stop and think. 
in a moment, if we were before him, what we have versus what the world is left with. He is king, folks. He is king who hath delivered us. That phrase means, that word means rescued from danger. We were in danger of spending eternity apart from God in a place called hell. Remember sinners in the hands of an angry God preached by Jonathan Edwards? I I read that. When I first got here, I'd been here a couple of years, and I thought, I'm going to go ahead and read that sermon. So I did. I don't know. I don't know if you all remember it, you know, people that were, were here. But I do know this. It wasn't worth remembering. The Holy Spirit wasn't, you know, nobody held the, you know, the, 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 the pew in front of them, you know, is there no hope? No, I read it and I realized five minutes into it, this ain't working. It wasn't the words. It was the power of God. But this is the word of God. And when we come to the word of God, we can know the power of God. Listen, who hath rescued us from a place called hell? We have been delivered from the authority of Satan. We have been, look at this, look at the phrase, the next phrase, verse 13, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, remember, we, we mentioned this. The Gnostics were having, trying to have a heyday with the church at Colossae. What they were doing is they were teaching about organizations of evil spirits that control the world, this and that. Paul is coming in and saying, don't you recognize who really is in charge? By the way, don't get wrapped up in angels. Yeah, but you know, I heard, I read a book one time about, you know, angels on assignment, you know, and they, listen, if angels are here, you're not going to know it, okay? The most important person that you and I need to know is here is the Holy Spirit. And we are in Christ. That's all we need to know. This word, the word translated, the Greek word was used to describe the deportation of a population from one country into another, from one country into another. History records, Antiochus, he translated, he transported 2,000 Jews, at least 2,000 Jews from Babylonia to Colossae. They know what he's talking about. Jesus Christ did not release us from bondage only to have us wander aimlessly. He moved us from the kingdom of darkness to his kingdom. Are you listening? We are citizens of heaven. We do not wander here. Like any other citizen, we have responsibilities, but we have opportunities. That's what he's trying to tell us. Earthly rulers, they would come in to defeat people. 
Jesus Christ comes and transports them and calls them winners because Christ liveth in us. Interesting here, the phrase, his dear son, can be translated the son of his love. He's called the beloved son in the gospels. He translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Here in the flesh, we are Americans, but for all eternity, we are citizens of our God and Savior. Look at the next verse. He is not only our king, but he is our redeemer. Look at verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Now remember, he's dealing with the Gnostics. He's battling a, a, a cult like that. By, by the way, be careful with some of the people that you listen to on the internet and so on and so forth. The Bible sheds a whole lot of light <laughs> on many a commentary. It also sheds a whole lot of light on many a cult. Here's a good rule of thumb for you. The Bible translates itself. As we were driving over here, there were cars that filled the parking lot of the Kingdom Hall. You know why? Somebody was able to come along and pick and pick and pick and absolutely blow apart the truth of the gospel with a few words and a few verses here and there, and now they are doomed for eternity because they have gotten involved into another works religion. Remember this, there's only two religions in the world. Two, dos, the religion of do and the religion of done. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're part of the religion of done because he did it, we don't. He did, praise God. In whom we have redemption through his blood. First of all, again, recognize. Now, now this is why, again, this is why I brought up that woman. And this is why I bring up Paul in his, in his manner. We look at this and we think, you know, we've read this time and again. We've read it in our devotions. But remember the passion and the heart of the man that wrote it. He doomed people that believe this way. He killed them. He tortured them. He went after them. If he was the old Saul, if he was here, he would be heading up trying to get rid of the Christians. But he met Jesus one day, and now he absolutely goes full throttle. I mean, it's pedal to the metal, and it ain't, it ain't slowing down. When he says we have redemption through his blood, that word means to release a prisoner by the payment of a ransom. Now, now, folks, he's trying to tell us something. We just didn't wander into a church and hear a message and pray a prayer, and then everything is fine, and we're good. And let's go out and get a cup of coffee. 
He's saying we were prisoners of our sin. We were doomed in it. When Christ saved us, the blood that we just sang about, that he shed for us, that blood released us. We're no longer doomed. We are released by the payment of a ransom. Not only that, but that sin that had to be paid for, he has forgiven us. Look at the next phrase. Even the forgiveness of sins. How many of you have ever sinned? Now let me ask you this. How many of you have sins that you hope and pray nobody else ever finds out about? Jesus knows. And he still paid the price. I, I, I don't know how else to, to paint this portrait except to just slowly go through. This is what Paul is writing. He's got a people that he loves. The town isn't that much. Colossae wasn't that much. But they were still God's people. And the Lord was using him to tell us things 2,000 years later. But we got the word literally means, that word translates, the, the word forgiveness means to send away, to cancel a debt. We're not only translated into the kingdom, but what we did in the old kingdom is gone. It's done with. Satan, if he was allowed into the files of heaven, Satan couldn't find a thing to condemn us with. Oh, he stands before the Lord and he seeks to condemn us because of things that we wind up doing, but it, it has been paid for. But now stop and consider this. This person that paid the penalty, yeah, but you know, I mean, he, he, he came in and boy, here's this, Here's this world that his father created and now he has to pay this penalty because what the father created, they sinned and now it's gonna cost him. No, 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 uh-uh, no, no, no. He was the creator. Can you imagine creating something that you knew would cost you so dearly in the future? Go to verse 15. He existed before creation. Who is the image? That word image means an exact representation. Who is the image of the invisible God? In other words, hey, cultists, hey, agnostic liars, Jesus is God. There it is. Well, the Bible never says so. It says so here. And it says so in more than one place. He is the expressed image of his person. You go to Hebrews 1 
in that. Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Now, when he says this, the firstborn of every creature, firstborn does not refer to time, it refers to status. Firstborn simply means of first importance, first rank. So he existed before creation because he is God, but also he created all things. Look at verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Since Christ created, he is not created. He is the creator. He is the firstborn of all because he created all things. No wonder the winds and the waves obeyed him. He's the creator. He's not Superman. He's the God man. He's the God man. All things were made by him, John tells us in John 1. So stop and consider. He who was called from eternity past to pay the penalty for our sin is the one that created us. This is going to be an amazing Savior that we, that we meet when we get to heaven. That, that's one of those <laughs> Selah moments. I can't imagine he created us knowing that we would sin against him. Knowing that it would cost him such a price. Do I understand it? Absolutely not. I know what the Bible says though, and so do you, many of you. But this is why we take the time to go through these things. All things exist for him. Listen, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created, look at this, by him and for him. Now, let's let's stop. Let's contemplate this. Everything exists because of Christ. In him, for him, through him. He is the sphere that they exist in. Um, There's something else I was going to bring up here. I'm not going to do it now. I I (laughs) I want to preach this completely by itself sometime because there's a lot here. But the dominions, the principalities, the powers, everything. We get excited about, sometimes, about thrones and dominions and principalities or powers. We get excited about politics. We get excited about spiritual things that people talking about, the angels and the demons and different levels of all that. Let's just suffice it to say this. Instead of getting wrapped up in all that, let's get wrapped up in Christ. Because when Paul wrote this, he simply made this statement. He mentioned these things and he said, 
Okay, all these things were created by him and for him. And he just kept marching on because he gives us a more wonderful and fantastic revelation. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Not only all things exist for him, he holds all things together. The reason why we sit in chairs right here, right now, is because of him, because of his power. If he took his power away, done. The world does not exist. I thought this was interesting. A guide took a group of people through an atomic laboratory and explained how all matter was composed of rapidly moving electrical electric particles. During the question period, one visitor asked, if this is the way matter works, what holds it all together? There was no answer. We know. We know. Because all things consist by him. Literally, all things are held together. You know, there's a song, This Is My Father's World. And sometimes, you know, people would get kind of upset about it. And I, I, see, we would have question about it. Well, wait a minute, you know, the, if the world is full of sin, et cetera, et cetera. But our God holds this together. God the Son, Jesus Christ, holds all this together. In a manner of speaking, this is our Father's world, the Son. But now let's get to this point. Because this is, this, this is wonderful here. Look at verse 18. He's creator, he's this, he's, he's king, he's creator. But he's head of all. He's the head of the church. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body. The church, who is the beginning, literally the originator. In, in, in Greek usage, the word head meant source, origin, leader, ruler. Paul called him the beginning. He has the priority. Now, even right there, we can stop and we can meditate. Just, just consider this. People come into a church. We do. You know, we come in and this guy gets in the pulpit, opens God's word, but I'm not the head of the church. I'm an under-shepherd, but I am not the shepherd. And you know, this one of the reasons why I, I, I want that sign out there about prayer, I want us coming in prayerfully because we need to be praying to he who is the head of the church. Are, are, are we listening I get excited. Again, like we talked about this morning, there is not going to be life 2.0. Tomorrow is going to be the 28th. There will not be another November 28th, 2022. 
Our God awaits us in that day. He's the one that has created it. If we were to sit back and say, Lord, I want your perfect will for that day. Lord, I am studying you. I am learning you. Lord, what would you have me do? Do you think maybe we would lose a little bit of our fear of serving him? You know, that maybe he might ask us to do something that, you know, we don't want to do or we don't think we can do. I'm going to make a confession right now. And it honestly troubles me to confess this. But I think when I get to heaven, in my shame, I am going to see things that I could have done, but I didn't do because the attitude of my heart was, Lord, I can't do that. And so I just moved on. Now, we look at people today in the areas of business, in the areas of science, and we see people that have done incredible things because they didn't care what people thought of them. They just launched out and they're going to do it. And you know something? All of a sudden, somebody invents <laughs> the flush toilet, the electric light, the electric car, the airplane, the moon landing. They stretch themselves out. Now, I'm just grasping at some things that are coming to mind. But imagine what could be possible. Brother Whiteside, I don't know if you could remember the name of this church, but you know why there are so many Baptist churches? I, boy, I, I wish, this is just coming to mind right now. I wish I'd have looked this up because I've read this story before and it's unreal. There was a Baptist church somewhere in the South. They never ran more than about 50. You know why? People kept getting saved, discipled, and sent out. And they're going all over the place and they're planting local Baptist churches. Hundreds. The originating church never grew that much because they kept sending people out. We just had two missionary letters. Imagine what God might call somebody from this church to do. Imagine how the Lord could take people from this church and use them in ways they didn't think possible. Not for their glory and not for our glory, but for his glory. Now, what do you think? You know, you stop and consider. I used to ask when I was a youth pastor, I used to ask young people, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? Actually, the better question is this. What would you do if you knew God was calling? What has he put in your heart? I knew when I was 14. 
I wanted to work with young people. And for 15 years, that's exactly what I did. Officially and unofficially worked with young people. I loved it. I thought I'd be a youth pastor my whole life. (laughs) Could you imagine this face being a youth pastor? I don't think so. Look back at verse 18. So here is Christ. He's the head, the source of the body, which is the local church, which is one of these. Here, the firstborn from the dead. Christ was raised from the dead. Christ was raised from the dead. And now he is the head of the church that is filled with people who have been raised from the dead because we were dead in Christ. Why is this? This is the theme of the whole thing, folks. Look at the last part of verse 18. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. The Greek word that translates preeminence there is used nowhere else in the New Testament. It's the unique position of Christ. Colossians 3 and 11, Christ is all and in all. In 1893, the world's Columbian exposition, the world's Columbian exposition, I don't know who that group was, was held in Chicago. More than 21 million people visited the exhibits. Among the features was a world parliament of religions with representatives of the world's religions meeting to share their best points, perhaps come up with a new religion for the world. D.L. Moody saw this as an opportunity. It's right there in Chicago. He used churches, he rented theaters, and even rented a circus tent when it wasn't being used to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. His friends wanted Moody to attack the parliament of religions. But he refused. This is what he said. I'm going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that men will turn to him. People say that that was the greatest evangelistic thrust that Moody ever did in his life was those meetings in and around Chicago during this time. Look at verse 19. We're just going to finish up quickly. The false teachers of Colossae could never give Jesus Christ the place of preeminence. Never. They were so full of their cult. They were so full of what they were. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father. This is, Paul is hammering this to the people in Colossae. For it pleased the Father that in him, Christ, should all, fullness dwell. 
Now that word in the Greek was a technical term in the vocabulary of the Gnostics. It meant the sum total of all the divine power and attributes. Paul was saying, you don't have it, it's Christ. You know, we don't have to argue Jesus. We don't have to argue him with the Catholics, with the JWs, with the Mormons. We don't have to argue him. Let somebody else pretend that he's the half-brother of Satan. Let somebody else pretend that his sacrifice on the cross did not pay the penalty. We know better. He is the sum total of all. That's Christ. Are we listening? Amen. That's him. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself. That's why he came. I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, he is working away. Listen, the natural mind doesn't see this. We need the Holy Spirit to open this up to our eyes. But folks, we just looked at a man who is lifting up Christ. He's enthralled with him. And I'm afraid we're going to have to leave him hanging because our time is up. But Paul still has a whole lot more to say. But he is wonderful.